So what's that in today's dollars? What are you worth? A couple of grand? Couldn't be any more than that. Yeah. So I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Season 2 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. Two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs. In this show, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Welcome to The Unforgiving 60. <laughs> Six zero, too much caffeine this morning. What are the unforgiving sixty podcast? I'm Tim Curtis, and I'm Ben Pronk. How are you? Highly caffeinated. That's how I am. <laughs> you are super caffeinated. The unforgiving sixteen. This is RV eighteen. Eighteen. One eight. Right. Mm. And we are going to talk. David Olney, Kate Bacher, Doctor Kate Bacher, to you. Yes. And then we're going to talk. We're going to talk our special Tempest Fugit double episode, Mm -hmm. as well as the reverse episode from the amazing driving force behind Lottle Life on the Line, Alex Lloyd. Mr. Alex Lloyd. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Well, anything discussed before we get on with the show? (laughs) Any final words? (laughs) Any starting words, opening comments? No, I've got Remarks? Let's get on with the show. So David Olney, we actually came uh, to know of David Olney through one of his students, and I reckon this kind of stands as testimony to the kind of individual he is. How many of your university lecturers would you remember, Tim? Mm, A few. I had some good ones as well, but this one of his students reached out to us um, and said, look, you've got to interview this this guy, my my professor, David Olney. and, you know, obviously the, the passion with which we were introduced to him was, was evident that this guy was just the consummate educator, really deep thinker. And, and so we were very excited to record this episode and it, it certainly didn't disappoint. Mm. I mean, most people are probably familiar with David Grossman's work, Ben. Certainly within military circles, but... What did you think of David Olney's comment on, you know, complexity and violence in contrast to Grossman's thoughts? Yeah, I think... It's very similar to, to my view. I saw Grossman speak in 2004 in Herbertfield, Florida, when I was still in uniform. Um, and I think his stuff's amazing uh, on killing, if it's not mandatory reading for every junior officer, especially combat officer, it should be. It's an amazing uh, view on the the impact psychologically of uh, violence in and outside of war. Um but I, I must admit, I, I have different views on on to David Grossman on on some of his um, uh, sort of viewpoints on on sort of arming contemporary society and and how to deal with that. Um, so yeah, some some great thinking, and and I must admit, I, I probably align with David Olney a little more than David Grossman on some of those areas. Mm. And complexity, he you know we love the work yeah. by Snowden. He he kind of rebadged that in um, some way, didn't he? And explained it in a Slightly more simplistic version of the Kinevan framework. Yeah, look, I think variations on a theme. I think we're talking about the same thing. Um, he spoke about sort of puzzles, problems and messes mm-hmm. as opposed to simple, complicated, complex and chaotic environments. But 
very much similar, you know, complex systems theory methodologies behind how you approach essentially what we're talking about here, wicked societal problems. Mm. And McChrystal's team of teams, uh, the theory from David is that, you know, that was necessary for McChrystal to adapt quickly into this very decentralised arrangement in Iraq, realising that, well, the conventional thinking wasn't going to mm. succeed and conventional special ops thinking, as unconventional as that might be, yeah. wasn't going to succeed. Yeah. No, um, he's certainly uh, just a, in a brilliant position to, to apply a lot of that, uh, I guess, abstract academic knowledge to very real and tangible problems that, that we're dealing with. And he's done a, a bunch of work with defence, Australian defence, um, but also government agencies looking at these sort of international relations issues. Um, yeah, no, really fascinating insights. And just the depth of his knowledge, his ability to cite different perspectives. And we, we talk about having a latticework of models, you know, an understanding of some of the big ideas from the big disciplines and his ability to look back on, uh, you know, centuries old sort of princelings and the lessons that we should have learnt from them and apply it to a contemporary environment. Fascinating. And he has his own podcast, Ben, Blind Insights. Yeah, yeah, um, which is really uh, – he hosts it with another Tim. Tim Whiffen. Yep. yep. And uh, some really good stuff there, um, which we actually um, must get down and do – he also does a, a offshoot uh, called Blind Drunk Insights, which is essentially the same podcast except drinking. That could be a more level playing field for <laughs> us <laughs> and him intellectually. Yeah, <laughs> he might have to start a few hours before we do that. I reckon, yeah, yeah, bring him down to our level of intellect and then um, we'll crack our first can. But yeah, I, we'll, we'll talk with David again. I'm sure we, we basically ran out of time uh, before we ran out of interesting subject matter and, and conversation. And so I look forward to speaking to David again. I think we've made that commitment, haven't we? Yeah. We will get him back on the program and talk some things that we just didn't get around to in you know, this very wholesome first episode with him. Mm. No, it was good stuff. Dr. Kate... Dr. Kate Bacher, clinical psychologist, and she develops high-performance mindsets, Ben. She does. And I'm actually surprised we hadn't come across Dr. Kate earlier. We, we certainly have a lot of common interests in that area. Mm. Well, she is doing work with your brother. They're doing a webinar, or in fact, they have done a webinar on high-performance. Mm. But she continues to also work with sporting teams. Mm. She talked about her relationship into CrossFit, even though she's not a CrossFitter. Yeah. What do you think about the apple cider vinegar? Can I admit that I haven't had a shot? I haven't had a shot either, but I did suck on a lemon, same effect. <laughs> you look like you're <laughs> sucking so, on a lemon. I'm, I'm sure those that have listened to the episode will be amused about Dr. Kate Bates's tip for breaking... Um, this emotional cycle by bringing yourself back into your physicality. Yeah. And what she proposes is take a shot of apple cider vinegar because once you have a shot of apple cider vinegar, you can think of nothing else except the horrible taste of, of apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar. I, I must admit I haven't done that, but I have been employing a lot of her grounding techniques. We spoke about, you and I have spoken previously about breathing and the. you reckon it's 
pretty good thing to do. It's mandatory. <laughs> well, it's not mandatory. But, but breathing techniques um, uh, as a sort of physiological lever to control our emotional state. But I really liked her grounding techniques, that sort of five, four, three, two, one, mm. five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, a couple of things you can smell. Um, those uh, mindfulness cues I've been using quite a bit and I like it. What about holding people's mouths closed? Do you advocate that to encourage them to breathe through their nose? Those people <laughs> encountering some stress, anxiety, yeah, pressure. Right. I'd like to give, give you, have a crack at that with you. <laughs> like I would that. hold your nose yeah. as well. Well, you've, you've been a mouth breather from way back, Tim, <laughs> so maybe we should try it. Um, but let's, let's try the apple cider vinegar. Yeah, we should. We yeah. should. Well, I don't know. Do we need a shot glass and a bottle of apple cider vinegar in the office? Possibly. Yeah, that could be a, a new thing. Do you feel um, stress, anxiety, pressure in the office, Ben? Mainly from you. I feel annoyance. <laughs> um, but Nausea. I was actually corresponding with a, a another Ben. Um, we've had a bit to do with one another professionally, and, and he mentioned that he's been using apple cider vinegar diluted as part of a, um, a essentially a immunity boosting. There's a, a lot of health benefits for it as well. So potentially we should get a couple of leaders for the office. Mm. Dr. Kate talks about overcoming fear and what does she say about how to overcome fear? (laughs) (laughs) She says, just do it. Just go out there and do it. And uh, that obviously over time will desensitise or inoculate you to what you are fearful of. Yes. I I wasn't sure where where you were going with, with that. But yeah, that inoculation bit is... I reckon really interesting and we've been thinking a bit about sort of virtual reality and some of the applications that that might have. Yeah. Certainly a lot of work in PTSD space with using virtual reality and similar tools as a means of uh, inoculating people against the the sort of symptoms or or sort of allowing them to creep back up on the things they're fearful for. But yeah, I I reckon it's it's a great idea and it's it's dead true. I mean, we spoke in the, the kind of close quarter battle environment that the first run through that a lot of people do, they don't remember entering the room, let mm. alone what they shot, let alone where they looked. And it's only through that exposure that you can get over that sensory overload. And so, yeah, any of these techniques where you can face your fears, to coin a phrase, um, can only be good things. And the power of distraction in order to create focus. You talked about uh, hitting that roadside bomb in Afghanistan Mm -hmm. and the leader, one of the leaders on that particular day told the driver of the vehicle who had just run into that explosive device to get out on the perimeter. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, probably even more so than the the distraction, but just getting that uh, control, that ability to Mm -hmm. to have something that uh, you're doing that's meaningful, that's that's seen to be contributing uh, rather than than sort of focusing on on the, the particular issue. And yeah, I thought that was a fantastic leadership moment, witnessing that. The thing I really liked when Kate was talking about backpacker medics and the work that they'd done with the Rohingya up on mm, the Myanmar-Bangladesh Myanmar. border was incorporating psychology into that frontline health yeah. assessment. So, you know, we all understand the way that we would triage a medical case. So her point was, you know, that's great until... You've got problems that aren't necessarily medically related. Yes, you know, they might have some medical issues, but also Mm. some psych issues. And her involvement with backpacker medics in doing that psychological triage. Yeah. And in fact, 
um, a lot of and and hopefully increasing amounts of attention being paid to things like mental health first aid that there's recognition that uh, these early interventions into psychological and mental health issues can be really important and even in you know less than a, a sort of refugee or extreme environment but just that awareness of the signs and symptoms of impending mental health just the same way that you'd have it in in terms of chronic medical conditions um oh sorry acute medical conditions can be yeah really valuable rock climbing rock climbing is kate's passion yeah enjoys being out on the rock not inside the climbing gym that's not her preference her Mm -hmm. preference is to be outside on the rock and and that probably for her in terms of her psychological well-being one it ensures that she is constantly overcoming any fears that she has and those fears do repeat on a rock mm. face, don't they? Yeah, yeah. As you climb harder and harder grades, the challenges get more profound, you get a little bit more scared, gets her outside. And the other thing that she said she loves about climbing is it's very difficult to think about the rest of the world's problems when you've got to put your hand or your foot in the next safe place. Yeah, and, and we've spoken previously about flow and, and hitting these flow states where you know there is nothing else but the activity you're focused on. and. That's probably a pretty. I mean, that's a highly incentivized environment mm. to to get into a flow state, but it's a it's a good place to be. So check out Kate's business, Elysium High Performance, um, where she improves our elite mindsets. Come on. And so, Tim, our special double episode, albeit split by a week, um, interviewing two extraordinary people. Now, we we make a habit of interviewing people who are leading lives less ordinary, but these stories really resonated with me and well, with the, with us both, and we wanted to do them um, in in uh, relation to one another because mm-hmm. both Tim Reynolds and Matt Williams um, are facing what which I think for most of us would be something we'd, we'd really struggle to come to grips with, and that is a, a really negative um, medical prognosis. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for Tim, Tim Reynolds' first career in the military, and he got out and found his sweet spot in a consulting company and yeah. did that phenomenally well, and then all of a sudden, life changed for him, and it changed dramatically, didn't it? And that He used that phrase, uh, God hit me with a big stick, you know, and you, it's... The way he described that story, I think, was really resonant that you're busy, you know, you're flat out, you've had this really successful military career, you've switched straight away, you're killing it in in, um, industry, kicking all these goals, and then it all changes. And his perspective on on how it sort of impacted him, obviously, but also uh, the view of, of what was important at the end of that, I found really interesting. Yeah, his his um, comment that you know, family's been the absolute bedrock, even when he was actually he'd passed over onto the other side and kind of came back yeah. from it. His wife was there. Holding his hand. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and probably in this period that we're going through, for us, but certainly not to the same level. It's mm. it's crystallised what's important in our own personal lives, in our professional lives, in our business. And geez, if if the clock is truly running, which it is for all of us, yeah. by the way, um, focusing on those important things that really matter, and family being the bedrock. But I still, 
I know all this academically, but I still find myself prioritizing, sometimes prioritizing that which is unimportant over that mm. which is truly important. Even when you hear these stories, um, I think it makes you more cognizant of it. But gee, I, I find myself sometimes, you know, working late or something. And gee, you, when you step back and, and look at it, you think, if you got that, if God hit you with a big stick, would, would you be really happy you got that proposal in at, at seven o'clock at night? Or would you have preferred to have read a story to your little boy? Well, I think that's the great question, isn't it? You know, if God hits you with a big stick and you had a prescribed period to live, what would you do differently in your life? And why aren't you doing that now? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. Um, but Tim was, I've, I found really inspirational and certainly the feedback we've received on his episode uh, indicates that it resonated really well with a, a whole bunch of people. From my personal perspective, I loved his um, foray or, or continued uh, endeavours in the art world. Mm. I've found, you know, even short of <laughs> any diagnosed mental issue that, that art is such a cathartic sort of meditative experience for me. It's a really important part of my life. Um, and certainly the military art program, um, which I'm really proud to be a patron of, uh, is using that um, to, to help people sort of who maybe don't have any issues, but certainly those who are struggling with things like PTSD, with uh, mental health issues. And I mean, there's a bunch of research on the benefits of using that part of your brain and using art as a therapy. Mm. And uh, for those that haven't been on our socials, jump on because we do post some artwork that Tim has painted of Cam Baird, yeah. um, which is phenomenal for a guy who has, you know, that condition and lost eyesight. <laughs> yeah. um, he said he needs to paint on big canvas. Which it, is cool. Yeah, yeah which, which um, yeah, assists in him seeing the picture. But I, I, was, I was absolutely blown away by that portrait. It's incredible. And I reckon that speaks to the kind of individual that Tim is, you know, no challenge too big. And, and maybe when you've stared down what he's stared down over the last decade, that, you know, learning a new skill takes on a, a different perspective. It's just another thing he steps up and addresses. But I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing his current work in progress, which I think he said was a 20-foot Darth Vader. Is that – did you pick up on that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, better that than a 20-foot nude Ben Brock. <laughs> <laughs> which is my current work in progress. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about that a little later. Yeah, yeah. I've um, given you my wise counsel on that. <laughs> so, uh, Tim Reynolds, the first of our, our double episode guests, and then – Corporal Matt Williams, comma, O-A-M. I don't think you put the comma in officially. Oh, you don't? Apparently not. Oh. I think. Hmm. I don't really know. But you, stand you, fast. Well, you have post noms. You should <laughs> probably know. <laughs> I should. Um, stand fast, Matt Williams. That's awesome. So since we recorded the episode, um, Queen's birthday came and went, and with it, the awarding uh, for this year of the youngest recipient of the Order of Australia Medal. Mm-hmm. Corporal Matt Williams, Willie. 24 years old. Yeah, the youngest recipient this year. Mm. Um, and again, jump on Willie beating cancer on, on Willie's social media. And there is an awesome video call between him and the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, where the Prime Minister calls to congratulate Willie on his being awarded the OAM. And yeah, in Willie's truly self-deprecating style, he, he responds very um amicably, I guess, to the Prime Minister. And we'll give him a pass because he actually 
bumped us from his schedule. We were we were in Willie's calendar. Fifty one percent. I mean, jeez, <laughs> prioritising the prime minister over us. But you know, to get a congratulations call for a, for an OAM, I reckon that's a fair reason to bump someone. So good on him. Yeah, and uh, I mean, a little different to Tim. You know, Willie had his twenty first birthday in Afghanistan, and when he came back, he started getting headaches and. So he was in his 21st to 22nd year when he was diagnosed with the brain cancer. And believe it or not, 1,700 people had diagnosed Ben with brain cancer just in Australia annually, and 1,200 die from the disease every mm. year. So I guess... Yeah, do the maths on that. Do the math on it. The statistics weren't really going to work in Willie's favour. But in even better news, I think, than his OAM... Willie has announced that uh, in some recent scans, his tumour, his brain tumour, has not got worse. And bearing in mind that he can have no more chemotherapy, Mm. he's done all that he can do and, importantly, all that he wants to do. He doesn't want to do any more chemo. And so that news that I heard um, the other day was just tremendous that um, uh, the tumour has remained exactly the same, which is um, really, really fantastic for Willie. Look, and long may he live up to his, his Instagram handle, Willie Beating Cancer. He's certainly doing that. And absolute inspiration, completely well-deserved recipient of that um, Queen's Birthday honour. Yep. And, you know, I think also a proud ambassador of the Australian Army. You know, he, he is, um, a, I think, a section commander that you would love to work under as one of his soldiers. Yeah, without a doubt. And so to the episode that split, our special double episode with Tim Reynolds and Matt Williams, it was you and me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, poor old Alex Lloyd. Oh, he's, he's hurting for, for material, isn't he, he if he's gets, come back to us? He gets Ben and Tim's greatest hits, <laughs> Redux. And it, yeah, I feel bad when we go on because Alex is a class act. That is a really good... If you haven't uh, been listening to Life on the Line, then do so. It is an amazing... Amazing in so many reasons. It's a cracking listen. It's a really good podcast, a a great variety of Australian military veterans from all theatres, ages, walks of life, genders, perspectives, etc., etc. But it's also... And and I've only come to realise this. It's also an oral history. You know, Alex is almost single-handedly capturing these anecdotal accounts of Australian service over pretty much the last century, which is just an, an amazing uh, endeavour that he's doing. Yeah, absolutely, and, and selfless. Yeah. You know, he's, um, for those that have, learned, have listened to Life on the Line podcast, you know, it's beautifully curated. He does not advertise. Mm-hmm. He does not get paid for it. This is just his passion and his belief that the stories need to be told, and he does it just so well. Yeah, <laughs> with the exception <laughs> of our episodes, unless yeah, yeah, his we are as good as guests. guests. Yeah, yeah, which which is not flash, but we we love um, our ongoing interactions with Alex, but always love being on his show and and feel very humbled to to be in such esteemed company. But it was a good chat. It was a good chat, and we talked about you know leading through COVID nineteen mm-hmm. and the complexity and or chaotic environment that has presented itself to organisations. 
And you dropped a little sound bite which has resonated with a bunch of people, and that's the question, would you hire you? <laughs> now, I've got a question for you, Tim. Are you <laughs> oh, quoting you, or is this another one of these little snippets you've picked up somewhere and are claiming as your own? Well, if you can find someone else that's that said that, Ben, I will... I, I can't. I, I desperately wanted to, and I... I in Well, actually... I, I Google search for about 15 seconds and then lost interest. But no, I'll give it to you. Yep. And, Tim uh, Curtis, would uh, you quote you? Would, uh, you, would, would you, you quote me? Well, I did quote me. Timmy quotes you. <laughs> would you. Would you hire you? <laughs> would I hire me? It's a really tough question, isn't it? I think periodically, yes. I think periodically, no. I have my moments where I think I should be working harder, smarter. Mm. Um, and there are times that I'm in good flow. Were you killing it? Um it's interesting. I, I find this whole thing, and we've spoken about ego before and whether it's a dirty word. Skyhooks asked that question back in the 70s. <laughs> what was the <their> conclusion? <laughs> I think it was a statement. It wasn't a question. Oh, they said it's not a dirty word. No, they, they were very much they in there. asking the question. No, no. Um, but like, so to, to, you, to your point about some days you'd hire you, other days you'd fire you, um, I wonder if there's a balance in there that, that you've got to have a certain amount of self-efficacy, mm. which I think is different to ego. Um, and so, you know, if you have a decent whack of self-efficacy, you feel you're pretty competent and, and ready to face the challenges of life, then, yeah, you'd probably hire that person. But, yeah, you don't want to get too big for your boots. And I think we're all very close to our own flaws. Mm-hmm. And I think if we dwell on them too much and, and start thinking, gee, I'd sack that guy because or girl because... He or she hasn't hasn't uh, or has all these these flaws that only maybe we know about or see. Um, yeah, that can be pretty counterproductive. So yeah, there's a balance. Do you reflect on your own personal performance? Oh, do I? Wouldn't I? <laughs> Imposter. <laughs> I, I do. I've spoken uh, openly before. Yeah, I do. I I do get a bit of imposter syndrome even now. Although the older being in the studio with me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right now? <laughs> yeah, that's not the syndrome I've got <laughs> at the moment with you. Um, no, but I do. I, I sort of think, you know, occasionally, who am I to be sort of talking about this or for anyone to be listening to me? But um, I like that sort of question, well, if not me, then who, you know? Um, and the, the more I see, you know, I, I think everyone's got something to contribute. And I think as long as you're not... Uh, necessarily trying to pitch that this is the only way or that you're the oracle of of any particular subject matter, then, yeah, a a reasoned voice can be, yeah, quite a a healthy part of that self-efficacy. I can be really bad at that because you can go too far and I definitely overanalyze my own performance and different things, particularly client-facing workshops and presentations and keynotes, as you and I have done together in the past, actually. Um, And the other thing i probably do and I'm not sure if this is fair let me get your opinion Hmm. whenever something goes wrong in our team I always think about what could have I done differently to make it better is that is that fair is that being no it well you could (laughs) (laughs) is definitely you (laughs) no I I reckon that's a good um, a, a self-reflective and it's funny I mean you can practice self-reflection but the whole Jahari Windows thing you still mm. have your blind spots and you want to try and minimise them but I think there are times where we all look back and I think it is a good habit to get into You again you want to balance you don't want to bear that cross of, of failure you know that it was you every time but um, yeah you want to look at well how can you adapt 
and it's different with different people. That's the other funny thing that that um, you know, I think particularly in uh, a business setting, you know, it's it's different interactions with different people are going to uh, have different results. Mm. That wasn't very profound. <laughs> <laughs> different interactions with different people have different results. A yeah. lot of difference. Yeah. Uh, well, we hadn't spoken to Alex since Richard Baker released the last voyage of the Pongsu. Another person whose podcasts are awesome and made us look very good. Yeah. Although also made us look very bad. When you hear a good podcast and then you tune into the the Unforgiving 60. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we enjoy making the Unforgiving 60. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, feedback always welcome. Debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you love it, like it, hate it. We like all your feedback. Mm. And, of course, on the social media. We talked a little bit about some of the operating environments that we'd worked in in the past. Mm -hmm. Alex asked us about... A few things, you know, you talked about East Timor. I talked about Afghanistan 2005, the parliamentary Mm. elections, and Sierra Leone and the challenge of culture and confronting child combatants in Sierra Leone, a bit of a moral dilemma for me. Yeah, someone was talking to me about that the other day and and just reflecting on your reflections uh, from that theatre and just saying, gee, what do you do? You know, where's the where's the right, wrong, black and white in that situation? It's it was really, really confronting because mm. you arrive there, you realise that the Sierra Leone Army were really scared about this small boys unit. You know, children as young as six who were armed and drugged, and they were going to kill you, no question about it. In fact, mm. uh, the person who they killed, they took their rank. So the higher the rank you were, the more incentive there was for them to kill you. Mm. Um, I had a high bounty on my head, incidentally. Mm. A thousand US dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Would you pay that? Uh, <laughs> wait, what year are we talking? I'm trying 2001. to index it. Two thousand and one. Okay. Two thousand and one. So what's that in today's dollars? What are you worth? Oh, gee, it's a good question. I don't know. A couple of grand US. Convert oh, that to Australia. Be any, couldn't be any more than that. Yeah. Save a price. I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a ransom or a bounty? It's a bounty. <laughs> okay. You probably oh, would pay the bounty. Yeah, I'd fund that. You would. <laughs> I'll take it out of your pay. <laughs> uh, but we had, we probably had in my time there maybe a dozen child combatants surrender to us, mm. and all of them were armed, probably no older than 14 years old, and as young as Alaji Sese, whose story I told a yep. little bit on Life on the Line, who didn't know how old he was but couldn't mm. have been older than six. And uh, yeah, I, I it, it often went through my brain if. You know, they decided to raise a weapon, what would you do? Yeah. Um, you know, bearing in mind they're not particularly well trained and the weapons were thoroughly unreliable. Yeah, um, yeah it was a real a real challenge to yeah. get your head inside that. Or if indeed you needed to overthink it. Mm. Just deal with the moment as it presented. Yeah, no, it's tough. We, um, in fact, had a not dissimilar situation in an engagement in Afghanistan um, we were in a, a sort of position on a hill and ended up in a gunfight. And all of a sudden, a little 10-year-old boy sort of popped up just over the crest and, and very obviously directing enemy fire towards us. Um, but, you know, again, the the rules of engagement, he was participating in hostilities, but, geez, who's going to shoot a 10-year-old boy in, in mm. that sort of situation? It's a really tough ethical dilemma. Yeah, absolutely. Well, mm. um in a future episode, we will talk to David Snowden about complexity. Yeah. And perhaps he'll give us some 
things to be able to navigate these styles of problems. And particularly the sort of things that we're seeing playing out on streets of a lot of cities around the world, um, most obviously in the US at the moment, uh, under the whole Black Lives Matter protest situations. A um, whole bunch of complexity for everyone concerned, leaders all the way down to to people who are protesting and, and trying to, to voice their democratic rights. And then, of course, the, the police who are uh, in many ways between a rock and a hard place in terms of trying to enforce uh, some kind of law and order. Tough situation. Very tough. Again, thanks very much to Alex Lloyd. If you haven't checked out Life on the Line um, podcast, please do that. A collection of stories from people of all generations who are serving or mostly have served, Army, Navy, Air Force, and it's just a great, great show. Mm. Now, we've got an update about a previous guest, uh, Heather Taylor, who we spoke to, was it last year? <laughs> no. I've lost track with COVID. <laughs> was that years ago? It was earlier this year. It was late February. Right. Last year. <laughs> 2019. No, it was a couple of months ago. And Heather was in the final stages of preparing for um, a row across the Pacific Ocean. And in fact, it, it was... It is funny when you talk about looking back on time because that was all pre-COVID, that none of this had sort of really manifested in the in the big way. Um, Heather did make it across to California after a number of false starts due to COVID and weather. She set sail and then pretty sadly had to turn back just recently, just um, last night. Yeah, I think got five days into the row and then had problems with her solar power converter. Yeah. And so no power on board the rowboat, no comms, no... AIS. Uh, correct. So the, the collision alarm that the boat has that warns Heather that larger vessels are coming in proximity to her. Yeah. No water purification, so yep. desalination. Now, she had backups for everything except the AIS... Um, which is a pretty big thing, the the collision, the... Uh, what's it stand for? Uh, something, identification, <laughs> something shipping. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the backups were, were super time intensive. So it's things like hand pumps for water desalination and, um, and this sort of thing. But, um, yeah, without that AIS, that, that's a pretty big undertaking, that that shorter a, a stint into the journey. Yeah, and she had a red-hot crack. She pulled everything apart, yeah. um, did all that she possibly could by herself and then realised there was really no alternative than to turn back to California. And so I think she rode about 20 miles before um, she made a call to the Coast Guard and yep. got dragged back into into California. And, uh, well, as we speak, she is getting that uh, solar power charging unit fixed and trying to work out when she can relaunch. It's a Amazing. good warm-up. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> nice, a nice warm up, but yeah, just amazing determination of spirit. And imagine, you know, we spoke with um, Alyssa Rosar about, uh, you know, her first attempts at Everest and and getting um, the big stop drop uh, from an avalanche. Yeah, but then being able to to just climb back on undaunted and and uh, have another attempt. I reckon that's pretty amazing to be able to continue going when you've you've had that sort of level of disappointment. And you can follow Heather's adventure at Pacific 
Giants Row on Instagram and also the website Pacific Giants Row and yeah. support her there. Um, I'm hoping she gets back to see. The tracker was fantastic. I was watching it on a daily cool. basis where how she was going and, geez, there were some days she wasn't going very far given currents and winds and things. It must, yeah. We spoke in the episode with her about, you know, <laughs> rowing all day and, and seeing your little dot on a map go backwards. But, yeah, incredible strength of, of mind to be able to... Mm, and superimpose some seasickness. She was seasick yeah. for the first few days on this particular... Well, in particular, um, you wouldn't know, Tim, because you weren't a water operator, but mm. that being static... I have rowed a boat, though. have <laughs> rowed, row, row, rowed your boat. <laughs> but being static in a big sea, particularly when you've got to have your head down, I remember blowing an outboard motor at one stage and uh, pulling up alongside a vessel to swap it out and that combination of being static in a big sea, the nauseating bob on a Zodiac, and the smell of petrol. Beautiful fumes. Beautiful fumes of petrol. And a, a 40 kilo outboard, you know, trying to shift that in a rubber boat. Good times. So you've been seasick, have you? I, I get chronically seasick. Never been seasick. Yeah, Probably should have been a water operator. Well, Could have been. I think you've never been seasick because you've <laughs> never done it. You wouldn't know, man. You weren't there. <laughs> no, I get pretty badly seasick, actually. Good, good water, and I can't swim very well, so well, perfect water operator. Let's hope and pray that Heather gets another crack um, before the weather starts to close in on her attempts to row from California to Hawaii. Exactly. So fantastic episodes with David Olney, Dr. Kate Bacher, and more ahead, Ben. Yeah, we got some great episodes in the hopper. Um, everything from plastic surgery to mm. V8s in Rockingham. <laughs> I was going to ask, we've got a little bit of time to play an externals track. Have you got yeah. any requests? I love US radio. Yeah. Check out, is it the second verse? Why don't you just stay here at the bar while I go around the corner, get the keys, unlock the door, get my car. Why don't you just wait here at the bar while I go outside and go around the corner and get our car? We'll leave this old town behind by some beers right down south till dawn. Love it. Forgot the keys, have to go back to the bar. <laughs> get an Uber back home. <laughs> It's not how it goes. We're not doing it, uh, doing Moff's um, songwriting or singing any justice. It's a bloody brilliant track. I love it. Yep. Uh, love the lyrics. And actually on the external social media, just in the last week, they are back in the studio. That's exciting. Doing some work. Do we get commission on sales for externals? Have we got that sort I of arrangement? I don't think the externals get commission on sales for <laughs> the externals. <laughs> Actually, I reckon this is a dangerous path to go down because they very generously have allowed us royalty-free use of their outstanding music, and hopefully we're, we're bringing some of that cracking stuff to, to maybe a different audience. Yep, and some of the songs that uh, we have played have not been featured on Spotify, so I'm constantly nudging the externals to make sure that they can get the track out on Spotify. So we have tracks that are not on Spotify. That's awesome. Well, let's listen to US Radio. Here's US Radio. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
Too far. 